As I was sitting there through the last couple of songs, another passage came to my mind. So this is like kind of like mini sermonette number one. It's free. Um, so I'm going to kind of, just for a second, going to give you another one, just, just for a moment. Uh, Psalm 46. And this is not a part of the main message. It's a separate one. So Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. He said, get the picture in your mind's eye just for a moment. You're out there on the, on the ocean front and the waves are just... It's crazy. And the, winds are, the wind is, is causing the waves just to slap against the rocks. So even though, even though, Will not fear. Think about that. And then he goes on and says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. How powerful is the very voice of God? Isn't that amazing? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And once again, I forgot to highlight, but that little word, what? Selah. What does that mean? Just stop and ponder that for a minute. Just stop and think about that. Let that sink in just for a minute. And then he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease through the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. If he can do that to the enemy, what can he do for you? And then the verse that came to my mind, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Just let that sink in for a minute. Think about it. Ponder over that just for a moment. Let that just really sink in. I don't know about you, but I need those reminders. I need that. Um, yeah, it's just, who doesn't have struggle? Anybody? Anybody not going through a trial of some sort? Anybody, anything happening in your life that you would have never chosen? But God said, hey, I want you to go through that. I mean, things are great, right? I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I, I got to show you, you know, I'm, I'm driving all the way down to Texas and back. And I get 30 miles from home. We hardly shut the truck off. And Jake says, what's that smell? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't smell anything. You know, a few minutes before that, you know, we're looking out, there's a gas refinery out on the right-hand side. You roll the window down, yes, that must be the gas refinery. That's all it is. A little bit further, pull in at Batavia, getting some gas or whatever, pop the hood, and my battery's, like, boiling over. I'm like, really? I had to go all the way down to Houston, run around Houston, come all the way back, and now my battery's boiling over. So I'm thinking, you know, the mechanic that I'm not, Need a new battery, right? I mean, if the battery's blowing over, you need a new battery, right? That's, that's pretty simple. So I called David in the middle of the night because he's a mechanic and I'm not. He goes, Dad, you need a battery. Well, well, yeah, I know, but I'm 30 minutes from home and there ain't nothing open. So I'm going to just ride home. Get home. 
And uh, go to AutoZone, get a battery. $230 worth. And then my check engine light comes on. It didn't come on before. Everything was perfect before. Switch the battery. Got a brand new battery. Now the check engine light comes on. I'm like, what in the world? Of course, leave it to Brian to figure out what the issue is. As for a $6 fuse, I had to buy a $230 battery. Come on. But the OCD guy that I am with lights on the dashboard that don't need to be there, a Christmas tree on the dashboard, my check engine light's off. For about an hour. And it comes back on. I'm like, really? Does anybody else not have a struggle? The little things that just irritate you? The frustrating things that you just wish you could avoid? Could it be that those disruptions are the very thing that God is saying, oh, hello, <laughs> I'm still here. You kind of seem to have forgot me because things are going pretty good. Those are wake-up calls. And as much as I would not choose it, I hate it, drives me nuts, they're wake-up calls. To refocus, to redirect, to get our mind where it needs to be, right? Because there's lots of things that happen that I would not choose. Lots of things that God allows that I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? Nothing. I just want to get your attention again. That's all. I don't like those things. You? I don't like them. Be still and know that I am God. Just let that sink in. I need those reminders. Okay, sermon one done. On to the main one. I want to read this morning. Last Two weeks ago, we started back into 1 Timothy. We started a while ago, and then we got away from it for a little while to deal with some things for the summer theme of outreach and evangelism. And I uh, felt the Lord wanted me to come back to 1 Timothy, so we're going to walk through 1 Timothy some more. Last Two weeks ago, we got into 1 Timothy chapter 4. And, um, but this morning, I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 from the Amplified. And I know that probably no one in this room has the Amplified, but I love it on occasion because it gets very, very descriptive. Almost too descriptive. It gives you more adjectives than really should be allowed in grammar. <laughs> but it really gets you to the point of where I think he's trying to say here. So, if you would just kind of follow along as I read 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10. It says, If you lay all these instructions before the brethren, those who are believers in Christ, those who are in the local assembly, the church gathered together, if you lay all these instructions before the brethren, you'll be a worthy steward and a good minister of Christ Jesus, ever nourishing your own self, on the truths of the faith and of the good Christian instruction which you have closely followed. So there's a couple of things that the Amplified brings up from the Greek that you don't always get in a regular translation. Nourishing. It doesn't just say nourishing. It says ever nourishing. It gives us the idea that it doesn't stop. You keep going. And that's the indicative of, of the Greek language is that it is constant. You're always doing it. You're always immersed in it. So ever nourishing your own self 
on the truths of the faith and of the good Christian instruction which you have closely followed. Verse 7, but refuse and avoid. Don't just refute it, avoid it. And he tells us what? Irreverent legends, profane and impure and godless fictions, mere grandmother's tales and silly myths, and express your disapproval of them. Say, does God really want us to just like be vocal about these things? Yes, he does. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. And then it says, train yourself towards godliness or piety, keeping yourself spiritually fit. For physical training is of some value, useful for a little, but godliness or spiritual training is useful and value in everything and in every way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come. This saying is reliable and worthy of complete acceptance by everybody. With a view to this, we toil and strive, yes, and suffer reproach, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior, the preserver, the maintainer, the deliverer of all men, especially of those who believe, trust in, rely on, and adhere to him. It's a little bit more descriptive than most of our translations. Probably the closest of that translation in the American language is probably the NASB. But it really has some things that draw out that we don't read of in most of our translations. But two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5 through 5, regarding being faithful in ministry. And at the end of that message, we finished by seeing that we needed to be committed to at least three things. Number one, we needed to be committed to being led by the Spirit. And folks, I can't tell you how hard that is some days. Some days I want to live in the flesh. Some days I want my way. Some days I want to do what I want to do regardless of what anybody else wants or expects, right? Because we're sinful human beings. But we have to be committed to being led by the Spirit. And that takes commitment to God. It takes saying, God, I surrender my will to yours. God, I give up what I want to do what you want. And that takes work and it takes effort and it takes an emptying of myself and it takes a surrender to God daily. But we were reminded there in that passage that we need to be committed to being led by the Holy Spirit. Number two, we need to be committed to truth lest our conscience be seared. And I hope that we realize that truth is of utmost importance. Half-truth is a full lie. If someone exaggerates, that's a half-truth and a half-truth is a whole lie. We need to not just be committed to partial truths. We need to be committed to complete truth. What does God's word say? And am I willing to follow it and obey it and commit to it? And then number three, we need to be committed to being set apart to God for, uh, for prayer and his work. So the question is, when we walk away from that, well, how do we handle that in, you know, when Monday morning starts? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so when Monday morning starts and we get up, what are we committed to? Are we committed to living in the Spirit, saying, God, fill me, and, and take what is necessary to do to be filled with the Spirit by praying and reading God's Word? We're going to come back to that in just a little bit this morning. So what were we committed to in the last couple of weeks? What are we committed to tomorrow morning? See, it's easy to get committed to work because I have to get up or I get fired. It's easy to be committed to my family because, well, I've got to provide for them, otherwise I'm worthless. But when there's nobody over you and watching you 
and talking with you. In other words, who we are when we're in private, when we think nobody else is watching, that's our true character, right? What are we committed to then? Without somebody saying, hey, you need to be here at 8.30. Without somebody saying, hey, you have this bill you've got to pay. Are we just as committed without somebody over us? The one who walks with us and never leaves us, never forsakes us? Are we just as committed then? Well, as we look at this next text of Scripture, a statement is made as to how we can be good ministers of Jesus Christ. And he starts off right away in verse 6. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things. Well, what things? You know, he talks about if you instruct. So the, the preacher here is obviously saying through the Holy Spirit that you have to be committed to certain things. And if you are aware of them and you're being instructed in them, then you can be a good minister. Then the opposite is also true. If I don't instruct, if I don't teach, and if I don't remind, then what does it say of who I am as a minister? I'm not doing my job, right? So what is it that he's bringing attention to? He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, what things? Well, back to verse 1. The very fact that some, according to chapter 4, verse 1, says, now the Spirit especially says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So what's the very first thing that I'm supposed to be instructing of? That some of you are going to depart. And we talk about the idea of depart. It's not like it just happened. That's happening all over the world. People are making a decision to walk away from God. And he says, why should I remind you of that? So that you don't do it. You are loved. You are needed. You are cared for. And God wants to use you. And you need not walk away from this faith that you know that you should be following. And he says, remind them of that. Some of you will depart, he says. Don't do it. And I'd be a good minister to remind you not to do it. Number two, how that some will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of devils. Some of you will say, hey, I come across this preacher on TV or I was listening to this channel on the radio and this guy says, and, and you're going to give in to it because it sounds great. Sounds good. But we're to be as the Bereans who search the Scriptures daily to see if what is said is so, right? So we, the only way we can know if what's being said is true is that we get in God's Word and study it for ourselves so that you are not being led away. <clears throat> this is a sermon in itself. Men and women of God, get in the Word. Get in it. Don't expect to be fed by me on Sundays. You have Monday through Saturday that you also need to be in the Word. It's not just for Sunday school teachers. It's not just for deacons or elders or leaders in the church. It's not just for those who are super religious or just holy rollers. It's for every one of us to get in God's Word and quit making excuses about it. Someone put on Facebook, another pastor friend of mine from Indiana, put on Facebook, he says, guys, what does it mean for men to be men of God? Quit making excuses. That's part of it. Don't make excuses. Quit saying, well, hey, I have, I'll do it more later. I'll get more committed later. I'll read more later. No, you won't. If you're not willing to do it now, you most likely won't do it later. Get in God's Word. There's no substitutes. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You will not grow unless you commit, are committed to being in God's Word and following its truth. 
And that's why he says some will depart. Some will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Why? Because they've been in the Word very, in a very shallow fashion, so therefore they don't know the deep words of God. They don't know the meat of the, of the Word of God because they haven't committed themselves to it. Men, it is your responsibility to lead your families and to lead by examples and to be students of the Word. That's why he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And he compares it to a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, you have to know what the truth is. Guys, quit making excuses. Quit saying, well, I don't like to read. Quit saying, I don't have time. You have time for what you want to have time for. We all do. Is anybody else picking on this? All the women saying amen. (laughs) Come on, guys, come on. I'm here now to women say amen. You know what they expect of you as their husband? To do it. Come on now. That'd be a good place for a man to say amen. So, get in the word. Don't make excuses. And he says the preacher's job is to remind you to do this so that you won't walk away from it. So that you will know the truth when you hear it. And not be deceived by it. And then he goes on, speaking lies and hypocrisy. We talked about what it means to be a hypocrite. To pretend to be something you're not. It's the idea of an actor on stage. The guy on TV who's playing a part. And by the way, have you ever noticed on TV, everything's always perfect most of the time? I mean, they need a new car, they just go buy one. I mean, they got new furniture, they go buy it. Everything's just perfect. No, your power got shut off last week. No, I'm just kidding. But they don't speak in truth. It's, a, it's all a big lie melt, made, meant to make people feel good. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend to be something you're not, men, women of God. Be real. Be who God wants you to be. Don't pretend to be something you're not. It is so easy. One of the easiest things in the world is to actually walk into church and everyone says, hey, how's it going? You'll give a big hug. And everyone says, great, fine. Wonderful. And you're lying through your teeth. Let's be honest. Because you know it was a difficult week. You know that you made some poor choices. You know that you irritated God with your sinfulness. And, well, you're sorry, but not sorry enough to change. That's kind of a week we have sometimes. And rather than saying, great, we ought to say, you know what, pray for me. It's been a rough week. That's what we ought to be saying. We ought to say, hey, Let's get together this week. Let's have some coffee, and I just need some encouragement because I'm making some poor choices. But you know what that takes? Humility and surrender. That's difficult. You say, Pastor, are you just telling, telling me to go around telling everybody my problems? No. What I am saying is, James tells us to confess our faults one to another. Why? So that we can get the encouragement and the support and the prayer that we need to get the victory. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? So, then there's those who are teaching falsely regarding marriage and eating of certain foods. So now we come into verse 6. So we look at our text here, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, these things I just reminded us of, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So, 
How is this accomplished? We stay nourished in the words of faith and in good doctrine. Now, let me say something about that word nourished. We don't get it in the English translation, but in the NASB it says constantly nourished. It has the idea that it is something that just keeps going. It's the idea that this is a daily habit. This is something that we are committed to regularly. It's not just a Sunday I come and I open my Bible and I, I hear something that the pastor has said. This idea of being nourished is a constant thing. So let me ask you a question. Those of you that have had children, or you've cared for children, you've had a baby in your arms, is, is the idea that you just nurse that baby once and he's good, for good, good to go? They have something called abuse for those of you that think that way, and you'll end up in a place behind bars and it's not a crib. So the bottom line is, no. That baby, when you begin to make the commitment to, be nur- to nurse that baby, it is constant, right? So you do it, not just breakfast, morning, lunch, and dinner. When that baby starts cr- getting cranky and the crying goes on, you're, you're, you're shoving a bottle in its mouth. And you can't wait till when the bottle doesn't quite suffice and they start getting on the thicker foods and, and uh, the oatmeals and it starts getting thicker and thicker and someday, gloriously, they graduate to steak. Amen? But you know that they have been nourished when they begin to grow, right? See, nourishment is not just a one-time deal. It's not just a time period that, well, we're going to do it for this little bit and then we're done. That's why the Amplified says, ever being nourished. That's why the NASB says, continuously nourished because it shouldn't stop but he tells us what we're to be nourished with he says two things the words of faith and sound doctrine now words of faith is what truth once again that brings us back to the first point we were making you have to know what truth is and the only way to know what truth is is to get in god's word you gotta do it so I won't harp on that anymore, but get in God's Word so that you can be nourished on the Word of Truth, but then also sound doctrine. That's good teaching. That's good teaching. In other words, it's truth that you can learn from. Lots of that in this book. And let me just say, if you don't take advantage of it in this church, it's your own fault. It is your own fault. Ladies, you can meet Wednesday afternoon. You can meet Sunday nights at 6. Guys, you can meet Thursday night at at 6.45. You can meet Wednesday morning at 6.40. Bottom line is, if you don't grow, it's your own fault if you don't take advantage of it. There's opportunities all around us to get in God's Word, to encourage one another, for iron to sharpen iron, to encourage each other to take those steps that are necessary and needed in our lives as God's children. Take advantage of them. Get in God's Word. Be willing to be taught. Be willing to learn. Get in God's Word. Don't make excuses. As we come into verses 7 and 8, he gives us two words of exhortation. And I don't just mean key words, but a statement. He gives us two words of exhortation. The first one is this. Have nothing to do with profane and old wives' tales. (coughs) Verse 7 says, but reject profane and old wives' tales. That's the first word. Have nothing to do with it. Means to run from it means to reject it. And there's a couple ideas behind this word uh, have n- this word of having nothing to do with profane and old wives' tales. Wives' tales refers to godless myths. Godless myths. 
Uh, number two, it, it has something to do with worthless arguments. Do you realize that there are people who argue over the Bible on a drop of a hat for any reason under the sun? I'm not going to argue. I like what Johnny Hunt says. You have the right to be wrong. It's okay. But I'm not going to argue over it because I think arguing does nothing for the cause of Christ in most cases. I will defend my faith. I will stand up for my faith. But I'm not going to argue with somebody who doesn't want to believe. A person convinced against their own will is of the same opinion still. I'll present truth, but I'm not going to sit there for 30 minutes and argue with you. It gets me nowhere. It wastes time. That's the idea here of worthless arguments. And number three, it's anything against Scripture. There are people who have got a great ability, an art, if you will, of bending and twisting Scripture to make it say what they want. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Run from it. It says to reject it. Run from it. Turn your eyes away from it. Let me give you a couple ideas in our generation. You ever heard the phrase... God helps those who help themselves. Where in Scripture is that? It's not in there. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard an elderly person say to me, well, you know, just like the old good book says, God helps those who help themselves. And I kind of like say, well, where's that at? I'd like to find that one. It's not in there. Or, your guardian angel must have protected you. I didn't know God said we had a guardian angel. I thought we had the Holy Spirit living within us. As his children, right? Amen? Sounds great. Sounds cute. It's a pithy little saying. You know, it's like, it sounds so precious and comfortable. My guardian angel is watching me. It's not in Scripture. He says, avoid these things. Stick to what you know is truth. Truth will not lead you astray. Then he says, do have discipline. Have nothing to do with profane and old wives' tales, but do have discipline. So was that in there, Pastor? Yep. Verse 8, look at it real closely. It says, for bodily exercise profits a little. <laughs> yeah, thank God it says a little. <laughs> Get in shape, rounds of shape, you know. No, it says it. Pro- it doesn't say it doesn't profit at all, right? Some, some, somebody looking at this, it doesn't say profits at all, not at all. It says it profits a little. Have discipline. But here's what he says: Don't just have discipline. Have the right kind of discipline. And he goes on and talks about this for the purpose of godliness. He says. Godly, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and for that which is to come. He says, bodily exercise is profitable a little bit. So you need to do it, at least a little, guys. Your only exercise should not be getting up and down from the chair watching the tube. Get out and exercise a little bit. Your wife and kids need you around a little while. Get to working on some of this stuff. I know Pastor got to meddling this morning. But number two, even though we're supposed to have discipline, discipline unto godliness is better. You see, he uses the analogy of an athlete. Uh, and it's really interesting. Here. See, an athlete trains to what? Win. I mean, can you imagine? I'm going to sign up for uh, the soccer team, but I really could care less whether or not we, li- we win a game or not. 
I mean, I want to join the basketball team, but if I don't get a play, big deal. If I don't ever get any minutes, eh, ride the pine, it's all good. I'm going to join the team. Be a, I'm, I'm going I'm to, you know, I hopefully I can block for the quarterback, but if I don't do a good job, no big deal. Right? Well, no, that's crazy. See, if you're an athlete, you train to what? Win. If you're not going to play to win, don't play. Do your best. Does that mean we have to win? No, but it means doing your best. And he uses this athlete. See, as an athlete, you start to watch things. You watch your diet. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, I'm going to go for wrestling and uh, I'm going to cut to 168, and, but, you know, I'm going to have pizza and cookies and, and pasta and all these stuff, and, you know, if I don't cut weight, uh, no big deal. No, the coach will kick you off. See, if you're going to go to the Olympics and go for a gold, you're going to be disciplined. You're going to watch what you eat. You're going to watch and make sure that you are exercising and, and getting into routines that will help you perform well when you compete. You're going to be doing things like practice day in and day out. You are going to do things like rest when it's time. You're not going to stay up till 2, 3 in the morning, guys, and wonder why you're tired the next day and don't have energy to give to your family. Got to meddling again. You're going to watch your routines, Right? Because you're striving to win. And if you're not trying to win, what are you trying to do? Exist? That's fun. Guys, he says, we train to win. We train so that we can give our best. But we train towards godliness. So what's the training that goes into godliness? Reading your Bible. Praying, sharing your faith, living out your faith. I think it kind of be summed up in obedience, right? Why? I think there's a couple things. Um, number one, he says it's profitable in everything. In other words, there's no part of life that this will not benefit you in. There's no part of life. Let's read that again. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. You notice he didn't say some things. He didn't say most things. He says, godliness is profitable in all things. Have you ever met that person that says, well, he's just spiritual. What in the world is going on with him? That's just stupid. No. Because when we're spiritually fit with the Lord and walking in righteousness and holiness... I'll offend nobody as far as doing what's right. But if I live in the flesh, there's a good chance I'm going to probably irritate some people. He says it's profitable in all things. But not only that, he says godliness is profitable both now and in the life to come. You see, in this life, it's profitable to be in good shape. We want to be able to live. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to be able to walk up and down the stairs we want to be able to, to lift and move and do what we need to do to exist in this life, right? So we take care of ourselves to the best of our ability. We stay away from certain foods and we eat more of some foods. You notice that there's some foods that just... When I was a kid, there was foods I hated and despised. Peas. Those are of the devil. Aaron, I have to say... 
Asparagus is good. And let me just say, anything dipped in lots of butter is good. That's a good place for an amen. I'm just saying. I can remember we were joking about this last week. When we first got married, my wife was so She's even more awesome today, but she was awesome then. Every day for our dinner, when we got home from school, we were teaching, she'd make a big salad. And know what she put on that salad? Raw carrots. Disgusting. Who puts raw carrots on salad? I know, most of mankind, but not me. But she made a salad every night. And what I found early in my marriage, that lots of ranch covers up almost anything. I douse it, you know, I'm like, I'm eating salad with a spoon. Well, gotta love the ranch. And then about six months into our marriage, she says, is there anything I make that you really just don't like? Well, six months into marriage, you're feeling a little bit more comfortable with your spouse. Yeah, why do you put carrots on salad? She goes, you've been eating those things for six months. I said, right, because I love you, and I ain't going to say nothing that's going to irritate you. But today, carrots are okay. Peas are still not okay, but carrots are. (laughs) Why? We eat the right things because they're good for us. And we try to avoid the things that are bad for us so that we can be fit. But how much more important is it that we be fit in godliness? So folks, we need to be reading our Bible. We need to be praying. We need to be living out our faith and sharing our faith and walking really as it summed up in obedience. I was talking with someone this week and they said, well, Pastor, what, do you ever get frustrated in ministry? Yeah. You ever get frustrated at your job? God has called me to this and I know that he's faithful and, and we're going to go through the struggles of life together. But do you ever get struggled? Yeah, I, I, I get frustrated once in a while. Yeah, that's normal. So what do, you get struggle, what do you get frustrated with, Pastor? Everybody just being content. Everybody just satisfied. Everybody just being okay is just okay, and good enough is just good enough. I said, Pastor, do you see that? Yeah, we do. You see it at your workplace. I see it in my workplace. Only this is the house of God, and we shouldn't be satisfied with that. We shouldn't be. Are we okay that, we're, that, that we don't see people come to know the Lord? Are we okay that we have spurts where we never open our mouth for the cause of Christ? Are we okay that we are just satisfied with, you know, I didn't read my Bible this week, but that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. Pastor, you notice it? Yeah. And I'm not the only one. We should be fit in godliness and holiness and righteousness Why? Because he says it's profitable both now and forever. So what's the forever part? Well, one day we will stand before God and we'll give an account of the the life that we lived here. I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words, well done, the good and faithful servant. Don't you? You see, you're not going to hear those words if you're not walking in obedience now. Only those who walk in obedience will hear that. That's why we strive. And, and, and there's an interesting word there. A servant pursues godliness. The, the idea behind pursuing is that you don't stop. You just keep going. 
and you just make it a practice. You make it a habit. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 just for a moment. I want to read a passage. You're, it's familiar to you. You've heard it before. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Do you know that the Bible is not politically accurate? I remember in high school, we had these things called MACS competition. Minnesota, Minnesota Association of Christian Schools, we had all of these competitions. You know, GRBC had their talent, talent week, and you know, all these different words that you had, but you all gathered as hundreds of youth and hundreds of people, and, and you had these competitions. You had photography, and you had knitting, and you had everything under the sun. And you know what they awarded at the end of the week? Ribbons. You know what they awarded? First place. Second place. Third place. In some competitions, a fourth place. But also now we've got to have political correctness. We have a standard. If you're in this range, you get an exception ribbon. You've done exceptional. No! If you're going to win, go for the win. Don't win. go for an exceptional spot. He says, all run, but one receives the prize. But here's the difference for us in Christ. You all have the potential of being the one. If you're willing to do what God wants you to do, be who God wants you to be, you can win the prize. But here's the thing. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. He says... Don't just walk. Run. Don't just cross the finish line. Try to be the first one across. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, do your best. Do your best. That's all God wants. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. Does that mean you're going to fail sometimes? Yep. But he wants you to do your best. That's all he asks. So he says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, as God's children, an imperishable crown. You see, remember in the Isthmian Games, in the, in the Olympic Games, they would have a crown, a wreath put on their head. But the leaves that, developed, that made, were made into the crown were what? They'd fade, they'd wither, they'd die. And guess what? They had to start over next year at the next games. He says, they do it for a crown that is going to perish. We do it for a crown that will never perish. A crown that maybe will cast at Jesus' feet. So he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be, should be Come disqualified. He said, I don't want to be fake. He goes, I want to make my life count. I want to make my life count. I don't know about you, but this is something I think about more and more all the time. And I really am serious about this. I'm not that old compared to some. I'm not that old. But I'm older than a lot. 
at this stage. I'm in the middle area. I'm 47. But when I look at 47 years old, my life is more than half over. I don't want to live another day without purpose, whereby my my life will not count for something. I want my life to count. I believe that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth, so that your life, so that my life, so that our life will count. He wants to use you. He wants you to be faithful and obedient. He wants you to make a difference in this world that you live in. He wants you to have impact. Amen? But it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. So, Pastor, what are you saying? You've got to make it count. With the help of the Holy Spirit living within you, and you're choosing to be committed to God in obedience to Him, and being a student of God's Word and being teachable and applying the things that you're learning, you live for the Lord. By looking at these next few years, let's face it, you don't see 65, 70-year-olds out running races now, do you? It's not the norm. Is there an exception? Yeah, probably somewhere. somewhere. But that's not the norm. You see, I think we need to use our life while we can. Does that make sense? Use the energy that you have left for God. Right now, people look at me and say, Pastor, do you ever stop? No, I really don't. I just go, 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 go. And then I crash, and then I go, 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 and crash again. I just go. But as we all know, the day will come when we can't just go, 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 go. I want to use the energy and the time that God has given me now while I can. Amen? That means we've got to get busy. That means we've got to make a commitment. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. He says, this is good stuff. That's what he's saying here. He said, this is worth listening to. Let me read that again, just in case you didn't get it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. He said, this is worth listening to. And if it's worth listening to, it's worth applying. And James reminded us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. See, there's a bunch of us. That's what gets back to the contentment, that good is good enough, and you know everything's just okay, and hunky-dory, and everyone's just good. It's because we've bought into a lie, a lie of contentment in our walk with God. We've bought into the lie. Everything's just good. Okay is okay. Good enough is good enough. If we truly believe that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, if we truly believe it, we'll not just be hearers of the word, we'll be doers. And we'll begin to apply it in our lives. So where am I going with this? Well, look at verse 10. It says, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. So we labor. What's that mean? It means we work. And it says we strive. 
And literally, that strive it literally means in, in the lang- original language to experience reproach. In other words, it's difficult. Anyone who says this walk, this life that we live as a, as a child of God is easy, they're kidding themselves. They're, they're lying to themselves. They bought into a lie. It's just not easy at times. It says, for this we labor. It's work. And strive. The idea of experiencing reproach from it. Why? Because we trust in the living God. I like what the NASB says. I believe it's the NASB. It says, we have fixed our eyes on the hope of Jesus Christ. We have fixed our hope on Him. We have set our hope on Him. Who? The Savior. Why? I love this. Who is the Savior of all men. You see, Jesus is the Savior of every man who's ever been born in this world. They don't understand it. They haven't accepted Him. Many have not put their faith and trust in Him. He came. He gave the price. He paid the price. He gave His life. And many have rejected Him. But especially those who believe. Are you a believer? I love that, what it says here in the Amplified in this passage. Verse 10. With a view to this we toil and strive, yes, suffer reproach, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior, and really, literally, preserver, maintainer, deliverer for all men but especially with those who believe or trust, rely, put their faith and adhere to Him. So if you have that faith, you put your trust in Him, He's your Savior. And if He's your Savior, are you living for Him? I don't know about you, but I don't want to just exist. I don't want to just get by. And there's a lot of things that Caused me to do this once in a while. Just kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. Circumstances. Anyone else affected by circumstances around you that kind of get in the way of your commitments? I mean, I can't stand. I, I just I'm OCD about certain things. Other things I could give a flip about, but certain things I'm OCD. I hate seeing Christmas lights on my dash. I don't like it. it drives me insane. I want it done yesterday. Fix it. Get it. Get that light turned off. I got one of those OBD readers. What do you call it? OBD? I don't know what you call them. Those readers that, that you stick in the thing. I don't know how to use them, but I know that there's a delete button on it. And you can turn that light on or off. And Brian says, don't turn it off. I don't want to look at the engine light. Pastor, don't, 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 sh- don't turn it off. I don't want to see that little engine there. It's not supposed to be there. It drives me nuts. What drives you nuts and gets in the way of your trust? What's it for you? What circumstances you're thorn in the flesh? I think we all have them. But what's he say here? If you instruct the brethren in these things, what things? Being committed to being led by the Spirit. Being committed to truth being committed to being set apart for God in prayer. What does that do? By being reminded of this, it's in our mind that we're going to keep doing what's right. We're going to keep following God. We're going to keep trusting Him. 
we're going to exercise. Yes, we're going to practice physical exercise, but even more so, godly exercise. Why? Because it's profitable, both now and forever. So we're not going to have anything to do with profane and old wives' tales. We're not going to have anything to do with deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We're going to stay true to the Word. We're going to have nothing to do with those things, but we are going to have discipline. That's that's got to be our commitment. If we want to be faithful in God's sight, let's pray.